Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 1, Beginnings. So it seems sensible to start at the beginning, a bit about me. And was I always destined to become an obstetrician? And what is one anyway? So I got out my dictionary to look it up. According to the Oxford Dictionary, an obstetrician is a physician or surgeon qualified to practice in obstetrics. Well, that's helpful. What if you don't know what obstetrics is in the first place? So it turns out it comes from the Latin root obsto, which means to be present. And apparently the Latin obstetrics, spelt with an X, actually means a midwife. So usage started in the mid-18th century. People often think of an obstetrician as a man, perhaps overcomplicating and medicalising childbirth. We obstetricians sometimes get a bad rep. We can be considered the bad guys, the ones who stop women and midwives from getting on with the natural process of birth. It seems rather strange then that the word itself comes from the word midwife when from the beginning there's been a split between the two professions, both in gender and philosophy. If you want to read more background, I highly recommend Birth, A History by Tina Cassidy, a wonderfully written book that explores the fascinating history of birth through the ages. But in terms of what I'm going to talk about today, essentially I'm a doctor who delivers maternity care, mainly for women that have slightly more complicated pregnancies. Perhaps they have existing medical conditions or perhaps during their pregnancy they develop a problem or during birth. In general, an obstetrician is also a gynaecologist. In America, we're called OBGYN and in the UK, the RCOG, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, was founded 90 years ago. These days, that means medical school of five or six years, two years working as a foundation doctor, and then seven years of specialist training, exams, and so on. And I'll come on to talking a bit about my training in a future episode. So why do I call myself an obstetrician? Well, in part, because although I trained as an obstetrician and gynaecologist, I actually gave up gynaecology when I became a consultant. And part of this was for practical reasons. I was working part-time, had my own family, and there simply wasn't time to fit everything in. And obstetrics, maternity care, had been my my main interest, uh, my main love, as it were. But what drew me into the world of maternity care and obstetrics in the first place? Was it an obvious step for me? Well, it would be fab to think that I was a rampant feminist, um, a woman who wanted to work in women's healthcare um, and stand up for women's rights um, and women's birth experiences. But actually, that wasn't true. 
it wasn't an obvious step for me. I think for me, often it's about people, people that inspire me, people that interest me uh, when I choose to do things. So as an undergraduate, I actually enjoyed all things to do with the brain. And I think this was in part sparked by my incredible medical tutor, Professor John Stein, who does masses of work on dyslexia. So actually, during my degree, my undergraduate degree, um, I actually was interested in neurophysiology, neuropharmacology and neuroendocrinology. So I really didn't expect during my clinical work to do anything other than perhaps neurology or psychology. Clinical medicine started with basics, general medicine and surgery, before moving to specialties in the second year. And early in my second year, I undertook my eight weeks in obstetrics and gynaecology. At that time, maternity was really about seeing five deliveries and doing five deliveries. And these were so-called normal deliveries. Uh, what we might call spontaneous vaginal deliveries, vaginal deliveries without any intervention. Doing five deliveries was hands over the midwife's hands. It wasn't us let loose on women, don't worry. And my attachment was during the summer. And I remember it being hot and stuffy on the labour ward. And our experience was mainly determined by the midwife in charge of any shift and the registrar, the trainee doctors um, who were also involved. I was unlucky for my first few shifts. The labour ward matron attached me to first-time mums experiencing long births. And in those days, we really did stay with and look after the women, taking their blood pressure, doing their observations and staying with them throughout their labour. As some of you, I'm sure, are aware, first labours often take a very long time, perhaps 12, 14 hours. And so I would do an extremely long day, many times, only to, in the end, find that the woman I was caring for was taken to theatre for either an instrumental birth or, worse still, in my mind, a caesarean section. So it was extremely frustrating, week after week, I didn't see the spontaneous vaginal births I wanted to see. But then something changed. It was almost like I don't my stripes. It was almost like the midwife in charge, this particular midwife nearing the end of her career, decided that perhaps I was worthwhile and perhaps it was worth giving me a chance. So I suddenly started to experience something different. One of the most amazing births I remember was a water birth. And looking back in the early 90s, that must have been quite unusual. But I didn't realise it at the time. I remember the low lighting, the calm, the quiet in the room. And then the sheer joy of birth for this couple. And it was really profound because this couple had had a stillbirth in the past and this was their what's sometimes called a rainbow baby, uh, a baby born after a, a previous stillbirth and their sheer joy at welcoming this baby in this unbelievably calm, um, beautiful atmosphere 
with the midwife was amazing. And the joy was compounded by the fact that they'd been told the sex of the baby on their scan, um, but actually the sex had been wrong. So there was overwhelming joy, but also excitement and surprise with having the opposite sex um, to what they were expecting. So that was an amazing experience and something that really has stayed with me, as you can tell to this day. I also remember an amazing breech birth, um, the sort of oddity of seeing feet hanging out of a woman's vagina, little toes, um, legs of the baby tantalizingly close um, and yet fairly early on in the labour. And I remember that birth, although it being in theatre um, and the registrar being in control and the use of forceps for the baby's head, I also remember being that absolutely awe-inspiring experience. One day I was attached to a first-time mum and I was looking after her with a midwife, we were probably in the middle of her labour, or at least that's what we thought, and she was four or five centimetres and the midwife left the room. I think she was going on her break or to fetch some equipment and I was left on my own, which was fine. I was used to looking after women by then, um, doing the fetal heart every 15 minutes, doing pulse, doing blood pressure, keeping the woman calm, keeping her company, reassuring her. Um, And it hadn't been very long since the midwife left the room and the woman suddenly went, I think the baby's coming. And I looked down and the head was there between the legs. I was on my own. There was no equipment. I was the only person in the room. And in retrospect, I don't think I handled it very well. I think I was actually terrified. Um, I had to rush out of the room and summon the midwife uh, and get a delivery pack and gloves. I had nothing. Um, but again, the amazing power of birth uh, really inspired me. So I said earlier that actually people inspire me and the people that teach me and the registrar that I was attached to, we were attached to firms in those days, groups of doctors um, who look after people um, in a group under usually a consultant. Um, And the registrar whose firm I was attached to took the time out to teach me, to chat, to explain. And he really seemed to flourish in his role, enjoy it, be enthusiastic and impart that enthusiasm to me. So having finished my eight weeks, um, I then obviously undertook the rest of my medical training, my clinical training of three years. Um, and I wasn't certain what I wanted to do, but really obstetrics and gynecology and particularly the obstetric bit of it was the one thing that had really inspired me. So I decided to try and use my electives to gain a bit more experience. We had two electives. Um, one was an attachment in the UK um, at a hospital that had links with our medical school. Uh, and one we had to arrange abroad, or most people arranged abroad. So for my UK elective, um, I went to Gloucester Hospital and chose to attach myself to um, the ONG department again. Um, so that was five weeks of doing some extra obstetrics and gynaecology in a slightly different environment um, and with less students around, so being much more part of the team. And I really enjoyed that again. 
The most memorable birth I experienced then was um, of a situation of birth in a cottage hospital. So obviously Gloucester, a bit more rural, and they had um, what I suppose were um, midwife-led units of old, so cottage hospital. And we had a phone call from the midwife in the cottage hospital saying there was a woman with a cord prolapse. So a cord prolapse is when the umbilical cord comes down before the baby's head or whichever part of the baby is coming first. And this can be very dangerous because the cord can be pressed on and this can cause um, the baby to become distressed. Also, if the cord comes out externally, the cold can make the cord spasm. So either way, the blood supply to the baby can be compromised. So this is a very worrying emergency situation. So I remember standing poised, waiting for the ambulance, waiting for the woman. Um, we were scrubbed in theatre ready, gloves on, um, because we were going to need to do a cesarean. And... I think that was the first time I really realized a little bit of fear goes with obstetrics because there was that fear. She was coming in from the community by ambulance. It was going to take some time for her to get to us. And what would the outcome be? Would the baby be okay? Um, in those days, there were positions you could uh, put women in to try and minimize the pressure on the cord. These days, we actually use a technique where we fill the woman's bladder to try and lift up the baby's head or bottom, whatever might press on the cord, um, so that the baby's less likely to be distressed. But we were waiting, ready to receive this woman, not knowing what the outcome might be and whether we might be dealing with a very sad um, and distressing situation. So I think that's the first time I realised that maternity care wasn't all always happy um, and wasn't always that joyful experience, that there was a, an element of risk and fear that went with it. Um, and fortunately, when she arrived, actually all was well and she had a cesarean and she and the baby recovered extremely well. Um, but I think that was a, a really big learning moment for me. I then went abroad uh, for the for my full elective and this was interesting this was like going back in time I went to a rural hospital in Fiji and it was absolutely fascinating um, but birth was a bit like the 1970s so there was no privacy uh, certainly no ultrasound and women laboured on an open women's ward, um, so no privacy, certainly not any partners or fathers uh, with the women. And when women came in in labour, um, the first thing we did was um, give them an enema with soapy water to empty their bowel um, and also shave them. And they all had elective episiotomies. So that's a cut to open uh, the entrance to the birth canal a bit more. Um, and it was literally the sort of birth that I think was common UK practice in the 1970s. 
We only had one single room, the delivery room. And when we felt that women might be full, fully dilated um, and ready to have their babies, we would transfer them into this room to actually birth their baby. Um, and this was odd because this was the only air-conditioned room in the whole hospital. And so it was great for the women, but for the babies, they were being born into literally the coldest room in the hospital. Um and it was interesting for me because it was a lot of experience of spontaneous vaginal birth. It was interesting for me because there are a very limited number of doctors. And so I learned to suture and stitch um, all these episiotomies, um, obviously under supervision. Um, but that was very good experience for me. Um, and also the sort of difference in the access to healthcare that women were experiencing in that part of the world. I remember one woman whose labour didn't progress and the only answer was to put her in an ambulance and drive down an extremely bumpy unmade road in a four-wheel drive ambulance for three hours to the next biggest hospital on the island and perhaps not surprisingly, after we'd done that, by the time we got there, actually, she had progressed in labour. But it really brought home to me, I think, again, some of the risks and the fact that not all women have access to the sort of maternity care we take for granted in the UK. But both those experiences, both in Gloucester and Fiji, made me feel that, yes, this was something I felt like I did want to do. I did want to spend my career doing. Um, so that by the time I took my finals, I was fairly certain that that was the career I, I wanted to embark on. So in each podcast, I'm going to have a little segment called The Zesty Bit. And the zesty bit is the sort of essence, the bit I want you to take away, the bit that might make a difference to either you as a woman or you as a healthcare professional. So the zesty bit for today is really the importance of students. So if you're giving birth, don't be afraid to let students in the room. They can be an extra source of support and care. And sometimes when I talk to women, particularly on the postnatal ward, they often compliment student midwives and student doctors who are able to give them a little extra time and a little extra attention and really listen to their needs. So it's an extra form of support for you. Um, and when they're in the room with you, if you don't click with them, if you don't feel that they're caring for you and really deserve to be part of your intimate birth experience, then you can always change your mind and ask them to leave. But do try and give them a chance because for students, your birth is going to be extra special. They haven't yet experienced birth as a day-to-day -day occurrence. They haven't perhaps lost the wonder at the entrance of a whole new person into the world. And as a doctor, experiencing that wonder myself, but also through the eyes of my students every day, reminds you just what 
is the job we're doing and how important it is to women and families. As staff, you can inspire the next generation. Take time to talk to and understand midwifery and medical students. And also we have student paramedics and other professions who come and join us. Remember how you felt during your training and how you would have liked people to treat you. And remember that these students are our future. They're the people that may be caring for your children and your children's children when they come into the world. So that's the zesty bit for today. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OGS pod. If you have, please do leave me a review, subscribe and join me again to explore more about the day-to-day life of an NHS obstetrician. Please do share what you've enjoyed about listening and particularly if you've done anything differently as a result. I would like to confirm that although I'm talking about my experiences in my working life, there is no intention to identify any specific woman or family under my care. I take confidentiality very seriously. If you want more information about me, I can be found on Twitter at FW Maternity. And do check out the MATEX hashtag, M-A-T-E-X-P, as well as our website, matex.org.uk for ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Thank you for listening.